Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 14 and verse 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I don't know if you've ever felt like this, where you don't know what's the going to happen, what the outcome of something is going to be, but you say, well, let's see what's going to happen, and you go for it. When I was young, I got interested in where gunpowder came from, what it was, and so fortunately, our school library had no information on it, you know, <laughs> didn't want to tell, but I found this old book, more than 100 years old, that had the basic ingredients, so I acquired those and started experimenting, and made a nice gray powder, had it on a little piece of paper to see what it would do. And I didn't know if it was just nothing would happen, if it would fizzle and smoke, or if it would explode. Well, let's see what happens. So I had it on a piece of paper, and the paper was just on a chair, one of my mother's chairs, and I lit a match to it, and it fizzled and smoked and burnt, burnt a hole through the paper, and then burnt a hole through my mother's vinyl top on her chair. Didn't see what was going to happen, really. Didn't really consider it. I feel, feel sad for my parents with this foolish eighth grader, you know, doing all these things without thinking ahead about, well, what could happen? What could result from these actions? But that's the way we are as humans, even when we're much older. Too foolish to ask what will happen. But it was exciting and it was fun and I couldn't wait, so I went ahead. I didn't have time to ask the questions which wise people ask. Where will this lead? What is the end of the matter? This course of action, this path that I've taken, where does it end up? It takes wisdom to tell the difference between something that looks good and something that will be good. Because things that look good don't always end up good, and that's what our text says. Proverbs 14, verse 12, there's a way that seems good, seems right, proper to a person, but the end of it is death. It's important enough that Proverbs repeats this in chapter 16, verse 25. There's a way that seems smooth, easy. In fact, the word could even have a moral sense. It seems right. It seems like a good thing to do, follow this path. So I'd like to spend some time thinking about the truth that this verse conveys to us and really look at two things. First of all, that human nature is easily fooled by pleasant beginnings. And secondly, I'd like to, as illustration, give you five reasons why we're fooled and five reasons why all of God's children, old and young, need to be trained to discern the end of a matter when they're at the beginning. First of all, we can be fooled easily. I don't know how many times you've had it, where you started something with confidence, you knew how it was going to end, and it ended in in failure, in heartache, in trouble, all kinds of bad things happened. But the beginning just seemed right. It seemed like the right thing to do. It seemed like an easy thing to do. In 1812, Bonaparte and Napoleon invaded Russia, and he did it with great confidence. He had had victories all over. He was a great general. 
And he had an army of 685,000 men. Can you imagine this? This was the largest army ever assembled in history. And he invaded Russia, which had barely a quarter of that many people. What can go wrong? He invaded, he wanted to teach Russia a lesson, he wanted to exert his influence there, and so he marched in. The Russians suffered defeat after defeat after defeat, but instead of finally surrendering, they just kept retreating, 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 and they cut off the supplies that Napoleon depended on, cut off his access to food and lodging and all the other supplies his army needed. So the months wore on, and finally Napoleon had to retreat. And as he retreated, his troops were hungry, diseased, and freezing to death. Animals were used to, to be put in windows to keep the cold out because they were just the dead carcasses of the horses, nothing more. When he left, this man who had started with 685,000 men left with barely 27,000 men. There's a way that seems good, seems right, seems easy. You enter into it with confidence, but the end of it is death. That's what our verse says. The wise look to where the path leads, but the foolish only look at how it begins. I think we know this in life, don't we? I mean, Proverbs is saying something we understand. The reason people make foolish decisions is because, well, it seems right. It looks good. It felt good. It was easy. A news article begins, he looked perfect. It continues with these. When a handsome, divorced U.S. Navy doctor and former Navy SEAL fell madly in love with her, Abby thought she'd found the man of her dreams. Abby, a journalist who was being interviewed for this article, was entranced by his loyalty to the country, his passion, his dedication and selflessness. He wooed her with flowers and jewels. She fell for him, and they were engaged. They seemed to click in every way that mattered. Religion, career, money, family. What can go wrong here? Everything seems right. Well, it turned out that, yes, he was a doctor for sure, but he was writing fake prescriptions to feed his own addiction to these drugs. He happened to be engaged to another woman at the very same time he was wooing this woman. And he ended up spending almost two years in jail. It seemed so right. It seemed perfect. And so we have to say, don't be fooled by bright beginnings, my son. My daughter, don't take a path just because it looks easy, because the first steps might be easy, but think hard about where these choices would lead. It's not easy to do so. Young and old, doesn't matter. We all goof up on this. We all are, are deceived by this. But we have to train ourselves and parents, we have to train our children to develop an instinct to ask about why false paths look good. Why do false paths look good? And I'd like to give five reasons, mostly from the book of Proverbs. Five reasons why we are fooled. One reason is obvious, I suppose, we're not as smart as we think we are. We think we understand how things are going to turn out, and they really don't turn out the way we are so confidently predicting they will turn out. Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope 
for a fool than for him. You know, Proverbs makes a lot of fun of fools and tells us to, above all, avoid being a fool. But he says, here's one that's even worse than a fool. Wise in his own eyes. So sure of himself or so sure of herself. The truth is, intelligent people can be fooled. This woman who I just quoted about, this Abby, was a, was a journalist. And in fact, as you read the article, she's just embarrassed that she was fooled. And it says, what made it even worse was that I was a journalist. My whole career was based on my talent for sniffing out the truth. This is what her profession was. Intelligent people, smart people, experienced people can be fooled. Paul Krugman won the Nobel Prize for Economics in 2008. He's a smart man. Teaches at a prestigious uh, university. But does, does that mean he knows the end from the beginning? Here's what he predicted in 1998. Here's what he predicted in 1998. Quote, By 2005, it will become clear that the Internet's impact on the economy has been no greater than that of the fax machine. Oh boy. I'm sure he wishes he could take those words back. It's easy to get fooled because we're not as smart as we think. Book knowledge, education, degrees aren't the same as wisdom. It's great when our kids do well in school and they excel and they exceed all our expectations, but that's not the same as them being wise. So, I've said this before, don't compliment your children too much on how smart and brilliant they are, on how much they know more than you know, how they read books you haven't even heard about, how... They have access to knowledge that you didn't even know existed. They'll start to believe you. And then they're not going to listen to you. I mean, why would they listen to you if they know more than you know? Knowing all these facts doesn't make a person wise. Wisdom, in fact, makes us humble. That's what Proverbs 11:2 says. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. So one reason why we don't see the end is because we think we're smart and we're not as smart as we think. Here's a second reason. Because we don't see the patterns of life. God has set general rules by which life operates. In nature and in life and in society, things operate according to a process that the wise understand because things follow this process all the time. In Proverbs 30, verse 25, it talks about ants. Ants are creatures, it says, of little strength. Yet they store up their food in the summer. They're thinking ahead. They don't say, ah, oh, it's summer, I'm going to the beach and lie around. I don't have to do anything. This is great. Weather is wonderful. No, they think this is an opportunity when I have to plan for what will inevitably come, the winter. There won't be food available. So I have to plan for that now. They plan for the future because they know the patterns of the seasons. And it's sad that sometimes humans don't know the patterns of those seasons. Sometimes our children don't know those patterns. You know, you're, you put your kids to bed, what do they do? They cry. They cry every single night. Haven't they gotten that there's a pattern here? My son, now let me talk to you. What's going to happen tonight? I'm going to try to put you to bed. You're going to scream and cry and say you don't want to go to bed. Then your mom's going to get mad at you. And you're going to get very sad. And where will you end up? In bed. <laughs> Remember this happened last night? Remember this happened the night before? Remember this happened the night before? Why don't we try something different tonight? Why don't I ask you to go to bed and you say, 
Yes, mother, I certainly will. I've seen the pattern now and I know I can't win, so I'm going to bed. No, of course he's not going to say that. You have to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it, but presently the child will begin to see the pattern. Notice how God has to repeat it with his children, with you and me, over and over and over again. And soon we begin to see there's no point in fighting against God and his word. We have to do what God tells us to do. So, so sometimes we're foolish and we don't see the end of the matter because we don't see the pattern that's there in life. And the pattern is easy to see if we're even as bright as an ant. Here's a third reason. Because we look for the wrong things. The reason we don't see that the path we're on is wrong, the reason we don't see the end of that path is because we're looking for the wrong things. For example, we want a quick way. Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. I really don't want to think about this. I just want to do it. I don't want to talk to others. I don't really want to go ask those who have already done this. I, I just want to go for it. I'm just going to do it. We're not looking for the right things. Or we want an easy way. I don't want to work hard. This is ridiculous. So Proverbs 15:19 says, The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. I just want the easy way. I just want to get it done. I don't really care. So how do kids clean their rooms? Just put everything under the bed. It works. It's easy. It's done. Mom has no time to really investigate and things look right. So we have to train them slowly and carefully that the easy way is not the best way because look what happens at the end. You have a, <laughs> you have a room that stinks like dirty laundry after a while, as you know. It's not the easy way. It's not the quick way. I'm so glad my mother made me work weeks ahead of time when there was a science fair project due or other projects of that sort. Did your mom help you to do that, your dad? I know, she said, you got to, I don't care. I don't care if you don't want, you have to do it. You have to start now, you have to pick, you have to get the materials, you have to start reading, you have to start. And I remember the night before the project was due, project on which I'd been working for weeks, I asked my friend, so what are you doing? He says, I don't know, I'm going to work on it tonight. I said, are you kidding me? Is this, people really do it like this? What kind of mother do you have? I wish I had her. But I, in the long run, in the long run, I'm glad I had my mother. You know, she told me that just because things look easy and quick doesn't mean that they're going to end up in the right way. What's quick and easy at the beginning doesn't always lead to a good and satisfying end. So here's a fourth way. Because our desires blind us. You know, our desires war against the truth. Our desires war against God's Word. Our desires war against the wise way to go. I, I don't care which kind of desire you think about. It could be, could be our sexual desires. could be our desire for food. could be our desire for money and wealth and success and the admiration of others. Our desires overwhelm our, our taste and our appetite for wisdom. Proverbs 7 is a, just an example. It talks about a path there that begins beautifully, wonderfully. Every nerve is tingling with excitement because a beautiful woman invites a naive young man to herself. Or we could say an attractive man says to a young woman, I'm entranced by you. I can't live without you. You've got to come with me. 
Chapter 7, verse 21 says, with persuasive words she led him astray. Or we could say he seduced her with his smooth talk. It's wonderful. How can you say no to that? And I think anybody here who says they would not be excited by this kind of an enticement is probably lying. We're, we're made to be enticed by this. You know, it's like that very old song said, you remember that song? It can't be wrong if it feels so right because you light up my life. That's the song that our desires sing. What happens? Well, here's the end. Chapter 7, verse 27. But her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. There's a way that seems right. It's tingling. It's wonderful. It's exciting. All our senses come alive. But the end of it is death. That's what it's saying. The same as what our text says. So the real question here is, do we desire what is good? Do we desire the things that will cause God's blessings to flow in us? He's the creator. We can't spend our life fighting him. We're bound to lose. Is is the desire of my heart those things which would please God? So Proverbs 12.20, it says this, Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but here's the wonderful thing. But those who promote peace have joy. I can have a way where I'm gossiping against people, creating strife and trouble, but what will it get me? If I want joy at the end, then I promote peace. Or Proverbs 14, verse 22. Do not those who plot evil go astray, but those who plan what is good find love and faithfulness. Oh, children, don't you want those things. Don't you want joy and love and faithfulness in your life? What do children want? I think all children are the same. If you read the Bible, they're just like us. They're selfish. They're competitive. They want what would make them happy. They don't really care about anybody else. And so, you know, two of your kids are playing and you just want to get them out of your hair so you can do some work and you say, hey, why don't you guys go play a game? Great idea, right? What happens? First, they argue for ever on which game to play, then they'll pick a game, they'll argue about the rules. And then they'll argue about whose turn it is. They'll say, just read the cover. The rules are on the cover. You have to follow the cover. And it'll be an endless competition and we have to say that. I'm so glad you like to win because you like to play hard and you like to use all your faculties to, to do the best that you possibly can. But my son, my daughter, do you realize there's things that are much more important than winning a game? Yeah, like what? There's nothing that feels as good as winning and crowing over somebody else. Well, I'll tell you what's more important, to feel peace in your heart, to to have friendship, to leave the game and feel close to those that you were playing the, the game with, to feel happiness when the game is over, to have everybody be happy when the game is over. Isn't that better? But it takes a while to teach children this. It takes a long while because some of us are still learning this. I remember when we were... Growing up, there was a game we played. Some of you may know this. It's a game called Tripoli. My family played it, and uh, I was very thrilled when I visited Jill's family for the first time that they also played it. But they didn't know any of the rules. They had all the wrong rules for the game. You know, but it was like five or six of them against one of me. And so, yeah, we'll play by your rules. Fine. They're all wrong, but we'll play by your rules. And we played, and you know what I remember, what all of us remember? We don't know who won. 
We don't know who won how many games. What we remember is the fun we had, the conversations, the funny stories her brother tells who has a real gift for doing that. We remember the companionship we enjoyed. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. You know, peace and joy and the, and the friendship that is formed. One reason is because our desires, our competitiveness, our, our selfishness blind us to the good goals that God has in mind for His people. Pursue peace and joy and faithfulness, my child, and you'll do well. And finally, let me give the fifth reason. False trails look good because we forget that at the end we will face God. That's the end of every path. I don't care what you do, what you believe. At the end, we will all face our Creator. And parenting is training uh, our children so that they learn to think of the end of the path. And as they grow spiritually and mentally, they learn to think of the final end of the path. And they begin to say, I have to prepare for that. Just as I have to prepare for every other end, I must prepare for that. So we train them to think ahead. We train them to realize that not everything that feels good at the moment will feel good at the end. You know, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, tells us that there is pleasure in sin for a season. It's a fleeting pleasure, but there is pleasure. It's momentary. Meaning that everything that's wrong in life, every sin, every wrong turn we take, will feel good for a while. The path starts out good. It's just the way it is. And you know what, parents? I think we are very wrong to tell our children differently or to hide this truth from them. That there is momentary pleasure in sin because then what happens is when they try some of these things which are, yeah, wrong and against God's Word and ultimately harmful to them, when they try them, they find that they're fun and they say, Mom lied to me. Dad didn't tell me the truth. This is really good. I love this. It feels good. It, it's exciting. It makes me feel alive. You have to tell them, yeah, sometimes the wrong path can feel wonderful, but my son, my daughter, where does it lead? That's what I want you to think about. That's what you need wisdom for. Where will it lead? The foolish never ask that question, but the wise are able to discern that. So this is the unsettling truth, and it's in uh, Proverbs 14, 15, that, that we can be fooled by smooth beginnings. You know, we can be fooled by false promises. Proverbs 14.15 says, A simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. So what it's saying is that the wrong path or sin cons us. I don't know, have you ever been conned? It feels terrible. Sin cons us. Remember I was in uh, New York City many years ago watching one of these con men operate. Have you ever seen that? They, they have this cup game. They do several things, but they have this cup game. They have three cups and under one of the cups is a ball. And they show you, they put the ball under the cup, and then they move the balls around, or the cups around rather, and then you're supposed to guess which cup the ball is under. And if you guess, you win. And the guy says, you know, I'll double your money. Give me 10 bucks to play this game, and if you can guess which cup the ball is under, I'll give you 20 bucks. And there was a crowd gathering, because he was saying it quite loud, inviting people, come, play, you can't lose, I'll give you twice your money, all you have to do. And they were watching, he's not going that fast, it's easy to follow the cup, you know exactly which one it is, but nobody wanted to take a chance, of course. They know there's something going on here, nobody's going to double your money for something that easy. So as I watched, this guy came up, he had a 
gray suit on, a tie, and a briefcase, and he stood at the edge of the crowd for a while, and he said, finally, hey, I'll do that, and he plucked down 10 bucks. And the guy put the ball into the cup and did his thing, and he said, so, where's the ball? And the guy pointed to a cup, and sure enough, there was the ball. The guy said, all right, you win, and he gave him 20 bucks. And the guy in the suit walked away. Now everybody's kind of interested in this. They're saying, hey, I can do that. And one by one, they pluck down their 10 bucks, and one by one, they lose. And so the game ends. I mean, people are discouraged. They go away. I stayed and watched. I kind of was standing by the side in a little enclave just watching. And after 10, 15 minutes, the guy sat up again and started gathering another crowd. Come on, come on, you can double your money here. And the crowd gathered. Everybody reluctant to play this game. They knew something was up. And you know what happened? The same gray-suited man walked by in the briefcase, plucked down 10 bucks, 120, and walked away. He was part of the con. Who would have thought it? He's part of the con. Sin cons us. It looks so easy. It does everything it can to make us think that everything is going to work out good. And then the end of it is death. It takes time though, doesn't it? As it did me in that case. You have to watch. You have to experience what's happening to figure out what's really happening. What the real con is. So we have to tell our children, my son, learn early. My daughter, learn early. Don't be fooled. Don't be one of those who loses her money or loses his life before you figure out that it's a con. So we train them to forsake the easy road in order to gain abundant life. I don't think we should fool anybody to say that the Christian life is the easiest life. It's not. I'm not saying it's impossible because the grace of God abounds to us. I'm not saying it's sad because God promises joy and satisfaction in all that we do. But we should tell them that it's not always the easiest path. Jesus warned us about that. But it is the path to abundant life. This, this past week has been hard for Many of us, actually, for many reasons. I've had interesting phone calls and conversations even at the beginning of the week because of what was happening in the world. But of course, we were shocked, heartbroken this week to learn that our, our dear sister was unexpectedly, unexpectedly, out of the blue, called home to be with the Lord. One week ago, she was celebrating a wedding. One week ago. And now she's in the presence of the Lord. But you know one thing about her, she was ready. She was ready. She knew the end, and she had prepared her life for the end. She was not about you know, living large in life, accumulating wealth, having the best of everything and the most of everything. She was about loving Jesus. She was about worshiping Him and serving Him, and she was about serving God's people. She was always there doing something. She had a busy life, full life, and yet she found time to serve God's people. That's what was in her heart because that's who she was. That's the kind of life she lived the path that she walked on. A few weeks ago, you might remember, she sang these words here. They were words to her Lord Jesus. Joy of the comfortless, light of the straying, hope of the penitent, fadeless and pure. Here speaks the comforter tenderly saying, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot cure. That's where she is now. The sorrows in her heart, the pains and sufferings have all been cured. But she had an abundant life now because the path on which she walked was the path of following Jesus. It wasn't just words. It wasn't just a Sunday morning kind of a thing. It was her life, the character of her heart. Friends, our children's lives will be different if they hear and if they understand 
that the end of the road is not just finishing school, getting a degree or getting many degrees. It's not just a career. It's not marriage. The end of the road for which we aim is not a good salary and boats and houses and retirement. But for everyone, the end of the road is that we will face our Creator. The end of the road is that we'll face Him either as a friend through our faith in Jesus Christ or we'll face Him as one that He doesn't know. Jesus will say, depart from me for I never knew you. That's the end of the road for every single life. So teach them that the key thing today about the path you choose is to be at peace with God. One day you will face Him and the reason Christ came was to make peace with God. That's what Scripture promises. Now we have peace with God through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Teach them, therefore, to nourish their souls that, that the Word is important, that worship is important, that being with God's people is important. These are the things that God's Word says are needed to nourish our soul. Oh, teach them that it's more important than sports. It's more important than watching television. It's more important than friendships. It's even more important than school. Is that heresy to say so? Teach them that the nourishing of their souls is the only thing that will matter. At the end, they'll be face to face with God. What good is it for you to gain the whole world, my son, and lose your life? That's the question Jesus asked. That's the question we have to ask our children. There is a way that seems right to a person, but it leads to death. That's the text. But there's another way. There's another way who is actually a person. It's Jesus. And he said he is the way and the truth. And he promises that he's the way, not just to life, but to abundant life. I have come, John 10, verse 10, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. People of God, trust him. Trust this promise. Aim for that. Tell your children. Teach them. Aim for that. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the path that ends in life. Amen. Lord our God, we thank you for life Yes, this life, this short life that we have, the few breaths that we breathe, but thank you for its beauty and the joy. We thank you for all the desires that we feel because they are also from you and all the ways that you have of satisfying these desires which are good and righteous and true. We also pray, Lord, that our feet would be on the right path as we walk through this life. We want to experience all that you have for us here. And Lord God, we want to experience all that you have for us in eternity. Lord Jesus, come and be the way, the truth, and the life for each of us and show us how to gently, tenderly, persuasively bring our children to you also. In your holy name we pray. Amen. that the paths that we'll be walking on are not always going to be easy. The steps you have to take are going to be challenging. It's going to take courage from God to do this. But isn't it wonderful that our dear shepherd, the one who comes with power and strength and grace for us, is always with us. He says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. May you find strength and courage to follow him, no matter what the cost. Amen.